Welcome to Excel Radio with Dr. Nick Zarowski, where we talk with world-class entrepreneurs, executives, and health experts who have unlocked the secrets to Excel Health and performance. Hi, and welcome to Excel Radio. This is your host and high-performance expert, Dr. Nick Zarowski. In this episode, I'm going to be speaking with Eric. Eric is pioneering the use of cold therapy in order to help you increase your level of health. Cold therapy has been used by elite athletes for decades in order to help them recover from strenuous exercise. Now, with the research, we're finding that cold therapy can actually support weight loss. It can support reversing health conditions and also can support longevity. So utilizing the simple tips and tactics that we're going to show you in this episode will help increase your level of health so that you can live a better life. Hi and welcome to the show, Eric. Hey, Dr. Nick. Thanks for having me. Hey, you bet. So starting this off, I have to really ask, where did you come up with the idea of the cool fat burner? (laughs) Uh... This might sound a little crazy, but my whole life I've really been into things that I guess you could say really put me into the moment, flow states, whatever you want to call it. From the time I was a little kid onwards, uh, I've just been into things that really put me in the moment, and one of those things was uh, was cold exposure. So athletics, meditation, all those things that most people get into, but when I was a teenager, for example, I would uh, take cold showers, maybe not 10-minute cold showers, but I'd expose myself to cold, and I'd be aware of how, you know, it, it made you totally present, totally aware in the moment, you know, all the cliches we hear about being in the zone, it would help do that. Uh, as I, you know, got older, I did what is now called mixed martial arts. It wasn't even called that then. Like, my first fight was back in 1996, so that's, you know, the kind of the time frame we're talking here, I would read about these martial arts masters, you know, doing meditation under waterfalls. So I started doing that stuff as well. So we're talking mid-90s. I'm doing cold water exposure. Again, more for the mental, mental psycho, psychological, psycho-spiritual state, but also, um, you know, the exercise recovery and rest and relaxation, all that. And then after I kind of left martial arts, I wanted to get in and into you know some other interests I had so I started doing theater and short films and things like that got away from health and fitness and all the you know all of the, all, that whole realm and I started getting fat started getting out of shape you know drinking alcohol doing the whole thing and I saw a picture of myself around 2008 or 2009 and I really you know I was fat out of shape and I thought oh my god I'm gonna die of a heart attack because my family we have history you know three of my four grandparents died in their 60s history of heart disease etc etc so I wanted to start getting back in shape and all that and I started doing research you know, see where the, the where things were in terms of health, fitness, diet, exercise, all this and that. And I read the four hour body and heard about people taking ice baths to try to boost metabolism. And I thought, well, hell, I used to do cold water immersion and exposure, you know, back when I was a teenager, back in the late 80s, early 90s, mid 90s. So, you know, this is sounds like it's right up my alley. But I was older now, wiser, and I, you know, I thought to myself, there's no way I'm sticking with taking ice baths. It's not going to happen. Right. So, you know, let me look for something easier, more convenient. Let me look for a, a cooling vest that would do the same thing. Jumped online, started looking around. Nothing existed. 
then the light bulb went off and I'm like, wow, if this, I'm going to make this for myself and sell it to others who want the same thing. You know, I knew in that moment, if it had existed, I would have happily scarfed one up and started using it. It didn't. So that's what started this whole thing. That's very interesting. So when you first started doing the cold baths, was anybody else doing that? Well, this, I actually would take cold showers in high school and I, as a fairly good basketball player so like I was really into athletics and so forth and I knew I'd read and remember we're talking late 80s there was right. no internet <laughs> so to right. research to research medical like I would have to go, drive to the closest university I, in Pennsylvania I'd drive up to Hershey Medical Center and try to read these old you know big thick medical journals bound together to try to glean information on this stuff there was no internet you couldn't find this stuff out in three seconds with a click of a mouse you know what I mean right. so I, I knew that there, there are th- you know, there's kind of some evidence that led that maybe cold water exposure could help with some things, maybe with exercise recovery. And I read a lot about meditation, about uh, oh, I can't remember what they called it now. It's a Japanese term, but it's what they used over there, Shinkan Kishin or something like that, cleansing the soul or something. I'm not sure what they called it, but uh, you know, it's a meditation technique they used under waterfalls to help get into the zone. Uh, so it's you know, it was that sort of information that I used to kind of integrate with what I was already doing. Very interesting. You know, and I've I learned about this when I was um, in college and I was playing hockey. And we would do like two a days in the preseason, and even go to um, uh, you know across the country to go play games. And we'd be playing back to back. One of the things we would always do is we would. Uh, go in while we were in the hotels we'd take the ice bucket fill the uh the uh, bathtub <laughs> up and then jump in that and help our legs recover and then you know um another one of the ways i learned about this is that i had a friend who was um uh, trying out for the olympics and she was just exercising um just right. a crazy amount and so she was telling me how she would do this as well and um and then i just you know I hadn't thought about it in a long time and then as I you know just learned more and more about just the health benefit beyond recovery I started doing it again and um you know I started doing the cold bath the cold shower and uh really what made me stumble across you is that I live in Michigan and when it's uh 20 <laughs> degrees or maybe even 5 degrees outside the last thing you want to do is get into a cold shower <laughs> so <laughs> I was looking for alternatives and that's how I stumbled across uh your company right right yeah and that sustainability thing is huge too cuz if you're not going to stick with something then what's the use but right. uh, it's also interesting what you said like athletes like you and people you came in contact with They've been doing this stuff for decades, if not longer. Right, absolutely. Now, do you? Um, let's jump into some of the the uh, different um, health benefits of this, because that's really what it's all about. Is this doing this has some incredible health benefits? So let's let's talk about you know you know first of all like the longevity and and health benefits that come from uh, wearing the ice vest and what you've seen with longevity in the research and and all that. Right. Like that's a really interesting and wide topic. It's really neat. <laughs> There's a lot of layers to it. Uh, I've recently went back and was looking at a lot of the literature and my own notes and experiments and everything else. Uh, you know, 
typically, I guess the way they look at it is primary versus secondary uh, aging or longevity. Prime, well, secondary would be you know all the diseases we get that age us, obviously, and primary would be kind of like your natural lifespan if you never had any disease. You know what I mean? So it's like your potential uh, lifespan. So there's obviously a lot of genetic factors. Well, it's been shown that between secondary and primary and the factors involved therein that cold exposure can induce changes uh, uh, hormonally as well as well primarily causes changes hormonally that then affect darn near every system even down to the cellular level that can affect both primary and secondary aging by which I mean you know they can it can help treat or remove or prevent diseases uh, as well as like even affect your DNA and cell organelles in such a way that could theoretically extend your life, make you live longer than what you otherwise would have. Uh, now, of course, a lot of this stuff is still, I would, shouldn't say theoretical, but it's still, you know, it's still in the early stages of research and there's some conjecture extrapolation going on. So, you know, a lot of this can't make definitive absolutist you know, statements or conclusions right uh, you know but uh so like one of the biggest things i've noticed with cold exposure and and this is how i kind of like to look at a lot of the stuff i do is uh mTOR versus ampk mTOR small m capital t o r stands for let's see if i can remember mechanistic uh target of rapamycin it doesn't really matter what it stands for but it's basically an enzymatic process that occurs pretty much in most cells of the body or in most eukaryotes all animals plants etc anytime there's growth going on okay so, you know and we're talking on the cellular level so when cells are growing or dividing which obviously is happening like all the time throughout our life mTOR is active especially when it's really revved up and then mm -hmm. the other it's like a seesaw action between mTOR and AMPK, adenosine monophosphate activated protein kinase or something like that. So AMPK is active when, well, it, it, it's, it's a process where that monitors cellular energy levels. So if energy is too high or too low, AMP, AMPK kicks in to kind of, uh, well, basically it's involved with cellular cleanup, autophagy. Uh, if there's a damaged cell, AMPK kicks in and it cleans up those damaged cells. So these two processes, building up versus tearing down, there are positives and negatives to each, and each are tied in with health and longevity. So for example, mTOR building up, you know, that's building up muscle tissue, that's building up nerve tissue, mm -hmm. you know, connected to everything we need to be healthy and functional, but it can also mean building up fat tissue or even cancer tissue. Uh, something that just came out kind of recently, it's already been kind of debunked, but they think that one, some people, there's been the propositions that eating too much protein may be tied to certain types of cancer. Mm -hmm. They think that happens is because protein ingestion can kick in mTOR. Think about it, when you eat protein, you know, it can build muscle tissue. It, it, it literally induces muscle protein synthesis independent of exercise. Um, but they think maybe it can also, you know, kick in a production of cancer cells, for example, because mTOR is active. 
So having mTOR active is not always a a good thing then. Right, exactly. Okay. So it's almost like between mTOR and AMPK, which you talk about in a second, like you almost want these things cycling. Right. And, you know, and specifically using them for targeted benefits. Because think about it, a person might say, well, mTOR, it's building muscle. I don't care about muscle. Yeah, but having adequate levels of muscle tissue is directly uh, correlated to longevity. You know, when like right. older people, they start – uh, if they start having muscle muscle wasting, that you know, there's a direct correlation to early death. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and we can talk about after a bit. You know, things like insulin sensitivity and your blood glucose levels. That's also directly directly related to how much muscle you're carrying, because mm-hmm. muscle is a huge reservoir for blood. You know, blood sugar. Right. Which chronically high blood sugar can be tied to you know, aging, certain types of cancers, Alzheimer's, all sorts of things. So, uh, so this is really where it comes in and you're talking about how the cold exposure will actually help balance the hormones, like the hormones, insulin and the, and which is going to in turn help balance the blood glucose levels, which could potentially be a big deal for, um, you know, people who are diabetic that could benefit from this. Yeah, absolutely. Diabetic. There's, yes, there's, there's like a direct, benefit there. In fact, I've had people before that, well, I've had numerous people, um, uh, customers get the CFB, cool fiber odor, as recommended from their doctors because there's evidence, you know, showing that cold exposure, controlled cold exposure increases blood glucose uptake into the cells. Uh, and again, chronically high blood glucose levels is tied to every, pretty much every metabolic disorder we have. Right. Cancer, you name it. Yeah, everything. And like I say, certain types of cancers, and now they're even taking some of the dementia-related things like Alzheimer's could be related to chronically high uh, blood glucose levels. Right, exactly. They're actually calling that like um, uh, uh, diabetes type 3 where it's related to the brain disorders because of chronically high glucose levels. Interesting. See, I hadn't heard it called that, but yeah, that makes direct sense because it's like an it's a direct uh, result of that. So what we were saying earlier about the M- mTOR versus AMPK, which is kind of like these bro- – they're both – they're fundamental processes underlying almost everything, either building or tearing down, building up or tearing down, which is you know constantly occurring on the cellular level throughout our whole body, throughout our whole lives. Cold exposure can kind of induce both of those. So can diet. So can exercise. Mm-hmm. You know, so like AMPK, when your insulin's high, it's turned off because you're mm-hmm. in building mode. Because insulin high basically, in theory, means you just got done eating, particularly protein and carbs. So say if you just had a, a workout, that could be a good thing because you're going to rebuild muscle tissue and, you know, rebuild nerve, t- rebuild everything. But right. if it's chronically high, you know, that's not a good thing because what are you rebuilding then? Fat? And it's you have excessively high blood glucose, you're going to eventually start having inflammation, which is also tied to aging, uh, oxidative damage, all sorts of things happening there. Uh, right. And so basically, you know, this isn't just a problem for someone who has diabetes or even necessarily someone who is elderly. I mean, this is a problem for people in their early 20s. Um, you know, just from the hormone tests I run, I, I find that, um, you know, even a lot of young women and men in their 20s have just totally messed up hormones. And um, it certainly is a problem for them as well. So they can benefit from the cold exposure 
as well. Um, and, you know, I often tell people if you want to be the oldest person in the room or you want to look like the oldest person in your neighborhood, just keep eating a lot of sugar because it's going to wear your body out. And, uh, and that's very much related to aging. Right. Absolutely. And I don't want to, you know, bust on carbs or I'm not a carbophobe, but it needs to be done while the type of carbs matter and strategically when and how you eat them. Obviously, yes. like you said, you're eating them, eating them every damn meal. You're in for some trouble. There's even it doesn't, you know, they've even looked at like uh, professional, well, professional endurance athletes who can get away, at least in terms of how they look, they can get away with eating carbs, even simple carbs at darn near every meal because they're burning all these calories. But they end up, you know, they have they can have high rates of uh, cardiovascular disease and everything else because it's similar to what you were just saying. Whenever you're and this ties into the longevity, part of it could be as simple as how fast and how much you're burning fuel, i.e. revving up your metabolism. If it's constantly revved up, constantly burning, burning, burning sugars, you're basically speeding everything up and there are theories of aging that tie into metabolic rate, body temperature, um, you know, the, some theories that's the faster your rate, the, the shorter the lifespan because you, cause you're, you know, you're creating more oxidative damage, damage, you're shortening your DNA telomeres, all these things happening. So if you're constantly burning sugar all the time, you know, stuffing yourself with carbs all the time, Right. It's you know they're, they're, it's it's going to shorten your life and in more than just one way or one route of action, you know. Okay, absolutely, definitely. And so, basically, then with this cold exposure, we're going to find that it's going to help balance these hormones. You're going to be able to lose weight. You're going to be able to look younger. And this is really just because what it's doing um, at a cellular level, you know, with the hormones and you know with your metabolism and just the, the overall effects on your body. Right, so so like uh, when we start with the whole secondary versus primary aging, you know, the secondary would be the diseases, obesity, things like that. So cold exposure can ob- direct, you know, directly, you're burning calories, so it's gonna help with obesity. It helps with uh, insulin sensitivity, so it can help with things like diabetes, et cetera. And then the primary, the lengthen- lengthening uh, of your natural lifespan, that also occurs by what can happen. So for example, like, uh, all right, so right now we have a study going on to University of California, San Diego, testing before and after of wearing the cool fat burner of what it does to the hormones uh, adiponectin and irisin. Now these two hormones, like they've only known about them for, I don't know, like 10 or 20 years, which, you know, that's a short period of time in regards to, you know, what we know about human physiology. So they're learning all sorts of new things about these two hormones, but what they, those two hormones can do, it's almost, it's crazy. So for example, okay, one of the things they think in terms of longevity and aging, I'd mentioned briefly is every time your cell divides, you know, the DNA is dividing, the ends of the DNA are called telomeres and there's uh, uh, you know, uh, material there that lessens with each division. Mm-hmm. And over time, the cell basically dies before, because of this. And they think this is a, one of the direct, you know, mechanisms behind aging is that our DNA slowly with each division loses telomere material. Uh, what's been shown that irisin, this hormone that's increased from cold thermogenesis, that irisin can actually lengthen DNA telomeres. 
So there would be like one way they could theoretically increase your primary longevity. You know, it, you, you'd live longer because your cells basically don't wear out and die so fast. Now, are we talking about actually lengthening the telomere or just n- not shortening it? I'm not sure if they've distinguished yet. What I read on the most recent studies was that it can increase the telomerase, which is the enzyme that I believe it lengthens the telomere. So I believe, you know, I'm not sure, Dr. Nick, <laughs> if it does it reduce the shortening with each division or does it rebuild the chromatic uh, chromosomal material yeah. after each division i'm not sure how, which which method it works or if they know yet which way yeah well either way no that's pretty that's that's pretty cool and and so like just to make sure our listeners are clear so the telomere is like really the the truest way that they found out your what they find out what your uh age is so for instance like you might be like a 20 year old however you can get your telomeres checked and it might show that though you're a 20 year old you have the body of a 40 year old and it could be the exact opposite too that even though you're a 40 year old you have the body of a 20 year old and so what there's there's um, very specific testing it's actually some testing that we do here at new vision and um and what we're looking at is the length of the um end of the telomere and um and then from there we can determine what your like true biological cellular age is versus um um, you know, just taking a stab at it and guessing. So it's it's a very it's very interesting science and it's very cool stuff. Right. So so I so there you have like a direct you know DNA effect on the telomere material from irisin, and then the other horn, which there are other things irisin does. For example, it it directly causes apoptosis of certain types of cancer cells. Uh, you know, so so again, the, the health benefits you know, or widespread multifactorial there. The other hormone, adiponectin, it's been shown to increase mitochondrial biogenesis, which, you know, real quick, uh, quick review on that for folks that may not be up to speed on it. Mitochondria are often called the powerhouse of the cell. They're in most living cells of most animals, plants, animals, and so forth. They generate energy, um, in humans from oxygen, food, etc. And what can happen, and this is also one of the theories of aging, is especially if you have too much energy, which is kind of like saying, you know, whether you eat too much or do too little, whenever you have too much energy going into a cell and that mitochondria has to process it, it does this by stripping electrons from the food and it moves down the channel and this causes a chemical reaction that uh, creates chemical materials, ATP, ADP, and so forth that are used in movement motion uh, you know, throughout the organism. Well, what can happen is these electrons can basically get lost or get pulled out in, inadvertently. And so you have this electron with a negative charge floating around called a free radical. And a lot of people have heard of free radicals and antioxidants. Well, that free radical, that electron, it, it wants to be whole again. It needs you know, it needs to find something to latch onto to equal out the charge because it's negative. Well, it it can find that material by ripping it out of the cell wall of the mitochondria, or even worse, by pulling out material from a DNA strand. 
So now you have a DNA strand that's missing material because it gave it up to this electron that escaped from the mitochondria because the mitochondria had too much fuel coming through, which is to say the person was eating too much or doing too little to burn it off. Well, if you have a DNA strand that's damaged, DNA is self-replicating. So now that damage starts spreading. And of course, I think this is not a, what could call it, be part of what causes aging, but you know, certain types of cancers, that's literally what cancers are, is DNA, messed up cells that start reproducing, mm-hmm. you know, and there you have cancer. So they've shown that adiponectin, which can be boosted by, you know, cold thermogenesis, uh, adiponectin actually increases mitochondrial biogenesis, which means it can create more mitochondria and make them more like hardy and robust so that they can handle, you know, the, the demands of the cell without having these free radicals form that rip material out of the cell wall, rip it out of the DNA, you know, cause cell damage, oxidative damage, right. etc. So that's right. So, you know, right there we have on a cellular level how adiponectin increased by cold thermogenesis can pre- increase your mitochondria, preserve the cell, preserve the DNA, keep it from being damaged, keep it from being turned into cancerous cells, etc. And this is also going to reduce inflammation as well because you know I talk about inflammation a lot in you know when you look at all the different of course like you mentioned before the metabolic diseases out there um inflammation is like one of the one of the places that it actually starts this inflammatory process at a cellular level so this is actually going to reduce that inflammation as well correct yes absolutely in fact well just like you say like so many of these topics you know that the, the dna telomere shortening the oxidative damage from you know in mitochondria uh inflammation like it, it in real life almost you rarely have just one of them happening you know, all this stuff is kind of, if one happens, it kind of triggers or right. goes along with the other hat. A cascading so, effect, more or less. Right. So inflammation, you know, you always hear about in studies or in articles or what have you that, you know, inflammation goes along with oxidative damage. And whenever you hear about like, you know, art, arteries, uh, arteriosclerosis and plaques and all this it's usually both the oxidative damage and the inflammation, you know, this, this cycle in there that's leading to all the metabolic disorders and mm-hmm. tied to it. So, for example, adiponectin and inflammation, they've shown that, well, this is kind of an extreme example, but when people have heart attacks, their body releases like a huge amount of adiponectin, almost like is a last-ditch effort to try to hurry up and soothe that inflammation and heal the damaged heart tissue. It's been shown uh, in animal models that when they inject inject them with uh, adiponectin, it immediately reduces inflammation, relaxes uh, blood vessels, lowers uh, high blood pressure, and so forth. So adiponectin is directly uh, calming to inflammation. They're you know they're studying it as a treatment for heart disease and all the diseases related to inflammation, and it's directly are rather inversely related to things like obesity, heart disease, uh, certain types of cancer. So if you have low adiponectin, you're more prone to those, assuming you don't already have those. And vice versa, if your adiponectin levels are higher, you have a much lower rate of, 
or chance of getting, you know, heart disease, certain types of cancer, and so forth. Also, adiponectin has also been shown, similar to irisin, to cause apoptosis to certain types of cancers, particularly breast cancer and uh, prostate cancer. And it pushes down the uh, TFN, the uh, uh, tumor necrosis, you know, enzyme uh, inflammatory molecule. It uh, negates that as well. So there are many ways there that the hormone adiponectin which can be increased by cold exposure and certain types of exercise, how that hormone can, you know, fight all sorts of disease. And uh, with a cellular thing, with a mitochondrial biogenesis, it's theoretically, again, increasing that primary lifespan, increasing your potential to live longer, as well as, you know, reducing disease and so forth. That's really interesting. And like really one of the reasons I like what you're doing with your with your products is because you're actually digging into the science of it. There's some other people that are trying to really – I mean you were one of the first out there is what you're saying. So there's a lot of people who are trying to copy you but they don't have the science behind or what they're doing or why they're doing. You're actually you – know, uh, you're actually – in the trenches doing the research and then you also have you know the the science to back up why you're doing this and you know you're talking about the adiponectin and how it increases that and um it's you know it's 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 all really excellent but one of the things i want to talk about now is some of the details on the cold exposure and really uh what we're finding you know how long do people have to do this how long do they have to have that cold exposure how often and and um you know just some of the details that uh, people can actually start implementing right yeah um probably the best way to look at this is like different almost like the different levels of cold exposure what a person experiences at those levels and what systems they activate. So it, it like the most basic level of cold exposure, the most mild, which you might, uh, an example might be sitting in a, a, a cool room, say 65 degrees, but you're fully clothed. That sort of effect isn't going to do much physiologically. Um, okay. You know, because it's just not cold enough, you're fully dressed, et cetera. So that would be the basic level, but that level might be enough for a person to feel relaxed. They might sleep better. We're assuming now they stay there, say, I don't know, half hour, an hour. Enough that they feel it, the cold, but not, you know, they're certainly not shivering. They don't even feel cold per se because it's, mild, it's we're just talking the most mild level of cold. Okay. Uh, that would be the uh, sympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system. So they might be a slight increase in breathing. So there's a real slight calorie burn at that level. Uh, and that's probably about it. Now, once you start moving up even a little beyond that, uh, say, for example, a 60-degree room and being minimally dressed, like a shirt and uh, T-shirt and shorts, for, some, uh, for a lot of people, you know, they, they would say, oh, I feel a little cold here. Now, again, we're assuming they're not cold adapted uh, because as you become cold adapted, it's kind of like, you know, getting in shape with a particular sport. You get better at it. So you can do more when you get cold adapted, you don't even feel cold. Well, you can see pictures on my website. I'm wearing both my vests outside in a foot of snow and I don't even have goosebumps because mm-hmm. I'm so highly cold adapted. Uh, but obviously a person isn't going to start that cold adapted. Uh, you build that up, of course, over weeks and then months, depending on the level of cold adaptation, you know, you're shooting for. But back, okay. to the, you know, but back to the example, if say you're sitting in a 60 degree uh, room, minimally dressed, 
you might get goosebumps, might not. That would be the area of cold that starts to activate brown adipose tissue or brown fat that is, you know, gaining, I guess, popularity or people, a lot of people have heard of that now about brown fat, brown mm -hmm. adipose tissue. Um, and at that level, you will have glucose uptake. Right. You know, there will start to be some physiological changes going on. Uh, the calorie burn numbers there aren't real huge in real time. So you're talking, it could be 10, it might go as high as 15% metabolic boost again it might depend on how cold adapted you are so the calorie burn numbers there are adequate they're not huge yet but they can add up over time uh, there are people out there in the, the cold thermogenesis community that kind of advise that you uh, you know that practitioners in winter keep their heat off keep it 50 60 degrees in the house and even though you might not have a lot of calorie burn in real time if you do it like that 10, 12 hours a day, much less 24 hours a day, then it does add up to hundreds of calories burned. Okay, very interesting. So to kind of jump back a second there, you talked about brown fat. Can you just explain uh, to our listeners what that is? Yeah, so brown fat or brown adipose tissue, B-A-T, brown adipose tissue, uh, it's a type of adipose tissue, which is to say fat tissue. Adipose is, you know, that's fatty tissue. So the fat we have, you know, on our stomach or love handles, hips and thighs, that is technically white adipose tissue. Right. Though maybe it should be called yellow because a lot of times when you see pictures, it looks kind of yellow, um, but that might be the way it's stained. I did, who knows? But yeah. so white adipose tissue is a regular, you know, fat we think of as fats, the form cellulite, et cetera, et cetera. The, the fat we don't want. Right, exactly. That is related to this to disease, metabolic disorder, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so that's white adipose tissue. Well, brown adipose tissue, it's found in all mammals or darn near all mammals. And brown adipose tissue has a lot of those mitochondria we were talking about earlier, the powerhouses of the cell. And brown adipose tissue, babies, human babies, are born with a lot of it. But as we get older, we gradually gradually lose it. Some argue it's because we now have indoor heating that, and our ancestors would have had a lot more brown adipose tissue, but because we have temperature controlled environments, we lose it when we get older. Now, as a quick aside, it's been shown, I've experienced this myself and then recently over the last year or so, it's been shown in clinical trials that you can start to increase brown adipose tissue after like a week and within a month, you can have a fair amount of it. I've been able to maintain brown adipose tissue through an entire hot summer just by wearing my vest twice a day as verified by PET scans. And, well, let me go back before I go off on a tangent there, but regarding brown adipose tissue, BAT, um, it's typically found around major arteries. And what happens is when you get cold, your brown adipose tissue turns on, it kicks on, it activates, and it pulls blood glucose and free fatty acids from the bloodstream and burns them to generate heat. So earlier we said about mitochondria, you know, they break down fuels, uh, oxygen, food, water, to generate heat by manipulating electrons. The, the, the mitochondria in your brown fat do something similar, but they don't do it to generate movement or tissue organ function. Instead, they do it to generate heat. So when you get cold, your brown fat, your brown adipose tissue, this healthy type of fat that lines the major uh, arteries, kicks on, it starts burning glucose and fat to generate heat. And it's burning the white fat, the fat you don't want. Exactly, exactly. So your white fat, 
This, the fat cells release free fatty acids in the bloodstream that go up to the brown fat and it burns it and that's impartially how it can help lose weight, especially if you have it active for many hours a day, which once you get cold adapted is really easy to do. Um, and, 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 and physically, brown fat tends to be uh, isolated around like your subclavian uh, arteries under your collarbones, uh, around the arteries around your kidneys and really along the spinal column around all those little arteries all throughout there. Uh, when we did my PET scan, well, I've had it done twice um, while after wearing my vest. Actually, I wore my vest, took my vest off and did the PET scan an hour or two later because I wanted to prove that your brat, whenever you wear the cool fat burner, take it off so long as you're in a thermoneutral or cooler room that your brown fat will stay active even in a temperature that otherwise might not be active. So I was actually able to keep my brown fat active for like hours after removing the vest. And when we looked at mine, my brown fat, I had a lot around my subclavians and a lot around my kidneys. And then like I say, spaced out throughout the spinal column. Some people have more in their neck. I actually didn't have a whole lot in my neck, but I was highly cold adapted. So I probably like, you know, have my brown fat levels maxed out, so to speak. Gotcha. Okay. So now is there, with with your um, vest, it, it pretty much is designed to go over the shoulders. Now, it, that's for a particular purpose, and that is because that's where the most of the brown fat is found. Then, yeah, well, see, and that's really how it started, and that's how, like, with the cool, uh, yeah, the cool, with the uh, four hour body, the book that first that got everyone into, you know, using cold to burn fat. Um, it was postulated that you needed to cover those areas to activate brown fat. Now they're not so sure. They're thinking that uh, basically anything that gets your trunk cold could theoretically activate it. Now some areas might be better than others and that's why we kept the design of the cool fat burner because you're hitting carotid arteries, subclavian, you know, you're hitting those major arteries to okay. get a quick cool down. So whether or not there's a direct physical cooling effect or it's just systemic cooling still isn't clear but systemic cooling definitely can do it and then if you wear the fat burner and the gut buster basically your entire torso is covered so you're definitely cooling your trunk you know about as well as you can do it okay now is it suggested now the the um he, there's the over the shoulder um uh cool fat burner and then there's the gut buster which are two of the products that you guys offer now are you ever are you suggesting that we do it at the same time or are you suggesting that it's actually one's worn while the other one's not right well that's a good question earlier we were talking about like the different levels the mild up through the moderate you know the 60 degree room brown fat and then we go beyond that we talk about uh here shortly like it almost depends on what level you want to go to it depends on how much you know it, it really depends on individual person and their reaction to cold so for example in winter i can wear just the cool fat burner because i'll keep my heat off windows open and a fan blowing the winter you know winter air in mm -hmm. so it'll be 30 or 40 degrees in my room or i'll be in the basement working where it's 40 degrees and i'll, I'll maybe i only need to wear one the, the fat burner or the gut buster but okay. typically, yeah, but typically, especially in summer when, you know, you can crank your AC as much as you want, but you might not be able to get it that cool. I will wear both simultaneously so that that way, and, you know, I wear medium and medium. So I forget what the square inches would be in my packs, but it's, uh, well, it'd be six by 10 by 12. So, you know, it'd be uh, 120, whatever it is, a lot of square inches of 
cold ice that I'm using. Uh, but then again, I'm trying to go to the highest level when I do my sessions. Right. Absolutely. And I don't know, I think for me that it might be, uh, you know, more of a newbie with strapping on ice packs because that's what literally the cool fat burner is along with the gut busters, the cool, the cool fat burner, um, you know, the one goes over your shoulder and it's got ice packs in the front and back. And then the other one goes around your, uh, uh, abdomen and that has ice packs, um, all around too. So, you know, basically like you're strapped, you know, from the waist up with ice packs. And so, um, you know, some, I, I would say that probably starting off both of them right now might be pretty intense for me. Um, cause I've only <laughs> done one or the other, but I would say that, like you said, you probably can work up to it and, and handle it eventually. Right. In fact, I would not see, this is something, you know, I use myself in, as an example cause I'm into this. I love the thing. It's cool, et cetera. But I do not, in fact, we even state in the videos and the disclaimers do not do what I'm doing at least not right away, because I'm wearing both devices simultaneously against bare skin, which you shouldn't start off doing. Uh, I'm sitting in a really cold room. Sometimes I'm outside. I've been outside wearing both when it's sub-freezing, and I'll start sessions off with gulping down, like throughout a, say, a one to two hour session, which you you also should not start doing two hour sessions. In a two hour session, I'll drink close to a gallon of ice water or more, and I mean really cold ice water, and I'm gulping it down to get that cold down in. But again, that's when I'm experienced, cold adapted, etc. No one should start at that level any more than you should go to a gym your first time and throw 500 pounds on the plate or on the bar. You know what I mean? You right. Know? It's something you, know, it's you work into. Exactly. Yeah. And your body cold adapts over time. That's how the you know there are pictures and footage of me being outside in literal sub freezing temperatures with ice packs all around. You know latched onto me and I don't even have goosebumps, but it's also when I'm eating massive amounts of food, still have abs it's a, and have really super stellar health markers because I'm activating all these systems we're talking about. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. You're like, you're almost like the Wim Hof then, huh? <laughs> yeah. And if, the interesting thing there, though, a lot of his stuff, depending on where you, where, how a person views this, what they're you know, a lot of his stuff is kind of related to energy work, meditation, things right. like that. And I'm almost intentionally not trying to do that because I want to, you know, I'm trying to induce the physiological effects, not get my, whatever, my chi energy going or whatever methods, right. the Tumo yoga. I'm, I'm almost trying not to do that. I want my body to do the work, not the energy system, so to speak, if there is a difference there. Right, exactly. And, and for those who don't know Wim Hof, he's he's a guy who's like known for, you know, breaking a hole in the ice and going swimming under it. And, uh, you know, just all kinds of, I think he holds some records or something for holding core body temperature for a long period of time and literally like a bucket of ice, you know, with his whole body in it. So right crazy stuff yeah exactly so um and and that was so off topic but uh, (laughs) but uh, in a way it is topic because you know he has done he's shown he has brown fat he's done the indirect calorimetry so if you're going to do cold exposure even if you do do the meditative elements you still are going to get many of the physiological benefits it's not like it's an either or of course you know Right. Absolutely. So when, when somebody's using this cold exposure, let's say that they're using your vest and are you able to work out in it? Is there a benefit to that? No. In fact, well, I mean, you probably could, but I'd recommend not. I like, I almost like to separate 
things. So if I'm working out, I'm working out 110%. It's this back to that thing I talked about earlier about, you know, being in the moment, being completely in the moment. For me, it's easier if I'm really focusing on a thing. So if I'm working out, I'm working out. I don't typically work out in the cold winter because I don't also want to do cold thermogenesis while I'm working out. I want to work out. Same thing for cold thermogenesis. I want to do that. I don't want to exercise. On a more practical uh, note, like if you do try to exercise, you're going to be generating heat. So to some degree, that could negate the effect. Your you your body's generating heat through the exercise and not through cold adaptation, which okay. is kind of you know. And then finally, they have done a couple studies where they have they've had people exercise in cold environments, and they did you know burn more calories because of the cold. But at least in those experiments, the people had the subjects had massively increased hunger. Now, something I've noticed is that, uh, like, when if, if you just start using the cool fat burner or doing cold thermogenesis, or if you take off time and come back to it, appetite can be boosted after a session, you know, for like the first week or so till you tend to normalize and get used to it. So during that first week, it's easy to eat away your deficits. You know what I mean? Because your right. appetite's up after a session. Okay, very good. And how long should somebody uh, start off wearing this or, or um, you know, putting their body into uh, uh, the cold exposure? Right. Uh, the safe, smart way to start is maybe just use one device or the other at first with layers of clothing in a thermoneutral room and maybe just do like 15, 20 minutes just to get a feel for it. You right. could do, you know, the fat burner one day, gut buster the next day, just to get a feel. And then slowly over the week, start wearing both, maybe do it in a cooler room, maybe start guzzling down ice water and, exper and, and experiment with different levels of cold, like the, what we mentioned before, the mild, then the moderate where brown fat kicks in, and then move up into higher intensity where you start to get into near shivering or even up into shivering, which for some might sound crazy, but there are ways to do it so that it is like literally almost not noticeable. Um, that's also where you get the highest levels of irisin, adiponectin, the biggest glucose uptake, biggest reductions in inflammation, etc. Slowly build up to those levels. Uh, and, and if you don't mind, uh, Dr. Nick, if I could quickly actually talk more about that, the, the shivering level of intensity, because that is where like the big, it's, it's almost like walking versus jogging versus okay. a hard run versus sprinting. Okay. They're all good for you, but they do have increased benefits. So like shivering sounds crazy to people. People say, who the hell is going to want to shiver? Right. Well, first of all, several things, several counters to that. One, this is not shivering out in the cold that people think of that they've experienced. Most of your sensory nerves for cold are in your fingers, toes, ears, and nose. Those are like your early warning signs for cold out in nature. Um, so what you need to do is, is keep your fingers, toes, ears, and nose warm, and you actually feel warm because you're tricking your sensory nerves into feeling, you know, the warmth of mm -hmm. gloves, hats, socks, whatever, while you're simultaneously cooling your trunk with cool fat burner, cool gut buster. So you actually don't feel as cold as you would. Think about when you're out in nature and you've been cold to the point of shivering. You, you probably didn't have, you know, thick socks, gloves, and a hat on. In other words, your wrists, your neck, your face were cold, even though you might have been wearing a shirt or a coat or whatever. That's 
that makes you feel cold even though your trunk was fine. Uh, we're trying to do the opposite. We're covering fingers, toes, ears, and nose, keeping those warm while we do our sessions, and then cool our trunk. So you actually feel warmer than one would think you would. Also, keep in mind you are, you know, I play video games or watch TV while I wear my device, and I'm in complete control of it. I'm not out in nature. So, like, the experience is completely different because my mind is occupied on what I'm doing. And it's not distracted again because my fingers, toes, ears, and nose are warm. Right. I'll, I'll typically be working at my desk and wearing it. Right. Exactly. So your mind is on what you're doing. You're in direct control of it. Uh, and you start to cold adapt so that you get used to it and don't even notice it. And I mean, I mean this literally. There have been times I really like to push my sessions high when I do it to get the huge calorie burn and because of the whole mental psychological state it puts me in. But like I'll be whatever, messing with a computer or playing a video game like, wait, why, you know, speaking of video games, it's why is my character jittering around? I look down and my hands shake. <laughs> like I'm shivering but I'm not even aware of it, or, you know, except of what's happening. Um, so it's certainly not a negative experience once you get used to it. And then one final point on that, you obviously don't need to go to that level. But like I say, you get the, the biggest, fastest boost that way. In the original indirect calorimetry experiment I did out at UCSD in the videos on the site um, where I'm you know, boosting my metabolism 300%. And I could have gone higher because the better you get at it, the higher you can take it. But I didn't want to take it so high for that experiment. I basically wanted to show the minimal amount of shivering to induce the maximal calorie burn. So I'm basically burning enough calories, similar calories as like a really, really fast walk or a slow jog. Um, and if you watch the video, I'm not shivering or I'm barely shivering to the point where you can't even see it or you can only barely see it once in a while. In other words, I'm doing subtle, subtle interval shivering. So like there are different levels of shivering when you first start, like you can barely feel like a little twitch in the small muscles of your back or, in, you know, the small muscles in your trunk, but like no one else would even see it and you don't see it. You're just aware of it. And of course, through the, the spectrum, the whole other end would be all out shivering. Well, no one's going typically wants to do that. I don't do that, but you don't have to do that. Because like I said in the experiment, and you know your listeners can watch it, watch the experiment, you see that only once in a while can you actually even see me shivering. Yet if you look at the calorie burn graph, the calorie burn numbers are up at three hundred percent pretty much the whole time. Because wow, so you're you saying that like if you were to if you were to do this and um, just get to the point where you're just cold and barely barely shivering, then you're looking at a three hundred percent metabolism increase for that whole period of time. Yep. And, that's and, good. And, that's that's and, really. And it's almost so subtle to the point where most people wouldn't even call it shivering, but technically it is. It is not. That's what I'm saying. When people, when I when I say, well, I do shivering for uh, two hours while I watch a movie, people are like that's crazy. It must be miserable. No, because fingers, toes, ears, nose keep them warm. Two, I'm watching what I'm doing. Three, I'm cold adapted. Four, I'm technically not doing what most people would even call shivering. I'm just like right on the verge of shivering. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I would say that anybody who really feels like, you know, wearing of the, the cold vest or the the uh, gut buster one, like if, if you feel that that's intense or that's like really uncomfortable, um, commit to taking cold showers for a week or a cold <laughs> bath for a week. And you're going right. to like see what a blessing that really is to have that because 
I've been on the opposite end of the spectrum with the cold baths and the cold showers and in being able to just put this on while I'm working is so much better than going and jumping in a cold shower because, uh, you know, like there's never that huge discomfort level um, and then you're still getting the amazing benefits from it. Right. You're not kidding me. I t- like even when I was maximally cold adapted, the whole, you know, outside sub freezing wearing both both the vests, no goosebumps. I still hated cold showers. You know, even they are miserable. I actually, I think cold showers are amongst the least efficient because they're so miserable compared to the metabolic and physiological boost you get, you know, in terms of cost versus reward. Right. Well, and most people actually, if, if, if they're trying to do it through the cold shower method or the cold bath, typically it doesn't last. Like it's not sustainable because there is a certain point where that willpower dies off and they're just like, I'm not doing this anymore. Where it's like, if you are, if you're doing it in a way that's more comfortable, you're just, it's not a big deal. Or, you know, and especially for me, it's, it's efficiently, um, um, good too, because I can work while I'm doing it. And it's not like this, it's not this big psychological buildup you have to go through in order to actually perform the cold exposure. <laughs> right. The, the, uh, the ability to multitask is uh, yet another benefit of it. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, so then with the, with the cool fat burner, the cold exposure, you want to, you, are you thinking about 30 minutes or so that somebody should wear it at a time then or? Well, I would start no more, like I say, start 15, 20, 25, and then gradually, slowly, you know, build up and, and you can manipulate the time, the room temp, how much clothes or lack thereof you're wearing underneath, how much ice water you gulp down, um, even, even how you sit depending on what you're wearing can radically change. Like that's, if people watch a video of me intentionally going in and out of shivering, someone would say, how did you consciously do that? Because an experiment, I had to mask on so I couldn't guzzle down water. I, once you get good at it, you can alter your, your intensity level from the mild, moderate, intensive, high intensity, simply almost just by changing your posture. Just by changing your posture, you can you can you can go from you know mildly cold up into goosebumps, up into shivering, back down into mildly cold, almost on on command, like within a moment. And if you watch the the indirect calorimetry readout on the video of me doing that, you'll see it kind of like goes back and forth because I'm consciously changing the level of cold I'm in so as to maintain that 300% metabolic boost, but with minimal amount of shivering. Okay, that's interesting. Now, when you change your posture, is it, um, it, does it have to do with actually like you know? For me, I know like if if I lean against the back of my chair and it actually presses those tight up <laughs> against me, like it is, it, you know, that increases it quite a bit. Now, are we talking like that, or is it more of like the physiological effect from just changing your posture? You know, you're exactly more the first uh, example you gave of you could lean back and give a little pressure against your body. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're wearing a gut buster, for example, and you tuck your arms against your body, that will put your brachial arteries, the inside of your biceps, right against the outside of the gut buster. Yes. So you get like a double whammy chill effect there. Um, You can even like, depending on how you're holding your midsection, you can control how much uh, the gut buster packs are pressed against what parts of your midsection. Um, how I cross or how I do with my neck and shoulders can affect how the fat burner is against my carotids. So yeah, methods like that, like literally physically moving or pressing, kind of like how you uh, you, de- you mentioned there. 
Very cool. So, you know, overall, um, now is this ref- are we, is it safe to refer to this as cold thermogenesis or cold exposure? What's the correct term for that? Because I, I always kind of wonder that. Yeah, I know. Well, I've been following this now since whatever 2009, 2010, and all terms are used, and it seems like one will gain popularity and kind of fade away. First, it was. Uh, well, thermal loading was a big one people were using. Ray Cronice was using that, so a lot of people were using it. Cold thermogenesis is one that was used a lot in the literature, and some of the uh, you know scientific studies would tend to okay. use that. Then cold stress is one that people would use, uh, the phrase people. And then people were trying to use cold dieting, which I never used that because you know cold exposure is not directly related to dieting. dieting. Yeah. Right, so I don't call, use cold dieting. It was probably they were probably more trying to sell weight loss with it, and that's why they came up with cold dieting, most likely, right? Right, right. No okay. Doubt. So, so overall, then let's go with cold thermogenesis for right now. Maybe I'll switch it up and say cold stress. But for cold thermogenesis, and we're seeing tons of um, cool research come out on this at the time. It's helping with you know reducing inflammation, increasing the mitochondria, which are the powerhouses of the cells. It's um, um, uh, it's making the hormones more sensitive, such as insulin, so that you're able to um, really uh, level out your blood sugar uh, much more efficiently. So there's so many things going on with this in the research, and it's very, very uh, you know promising. And you know, it wouldn't you you're even saying that doctors are using it in a way as their treatment. They're telling their patients to get this and start using it. So you know, I really think that the cold exposure, the cold stress, it, um, is, it's a really, really awesome way to increase your health, increase your longevity. And, um, you know, I love what I'm seeing with it. I suggest it for my, uh, patients to use. And, um, you know, I personally use Eric's products, um, with the, uh, cold fat burner and, um, you know, I, I, I like them and uh, they're, like I said, they're much more comfortable than actually going in and taking that cold bath or that cold shower or, you know, sitting in a cold lake or something like that. And so um, it's, they're, they're very effective. I like the results I'm seeing with it. You know, Eric's doing tons of research with it right now. And uh, we really appreciate the efforts that you're putting into this, Eric, because I think it's, uh, like I said, it's very promising for um, people with health concerns to be able to use this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. I like getting the word out. And this stuff is just really neat. <laughs> and it's cutting edge. And the things that can be done on the you know the, the, the macro level from just trimming up your waist all the way down to working on your cells and increasing longevity, like it is this really neat cutting edge stuff. So yeah, and I think we're going to see a lot more coming out on this and a lot more promising um, research as well. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, we're not stopped. We, I already have. I have plans to do. Well, heck, I have plans to do uh, experiments on like cold exposure and meditative states. You know, I, I have all kinds of experiments lined up that go beyond even physiology and insulin sensitivity and reduced insulin, weight loss. All that. I've, you know, there are there are all sorts of uh, potential uh, applications with this. That's incredible. And we're going to be looking out for them. And so we'll post uh, we'll post your information below the video and so that people can jump into uh, a bunch of the, um, the, the video for the podcast. Um, we'll post your videos, though, that we talked about during this um, podcast so that people can look more into it and, and, you know, see some of the research and we'll post some of the links as well. But uh, 
we love having you on the show, uh, Eric, and um, it's been a very fascinating um, show here and uh, look forward to possibly even having you in uh, down the road when we see some more of this research come out. Great. Uh, sounds good. Thanks a million, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. Well, take care, Eric. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. Cold therapy or cold thermogenesis has so much to offer us, and I want you to benefit from it just like I do or just like Eric does. And so what I did is I talked to Eric, and for the listeners of this podcast, I was able to get you 10% off. So if you click on the link below, you'll be able to get 10% off your cold therapy gear. I hope you enjoy and make it a great day. If you want more information to multiply your health and simplify your lifestyle, visit our website at excelpodcast.com. Until next time, have an outstanding day.